Welcome. You are listening to the Mindful Minute, meditations created for everyday joy. I'm your host, Meryl Arnett, and my passion is making meditation accessible and enjoyable. This podcast is recorded from my live Monday night meditation class, where we have a brief discussion followed by a guided meditation. If you would like to access these meditation practices as standalone audio files for your daily practice, please subscribe to my newsletter at merylarnett.com. It's free and you'll receive a new mini meditation each week, along with behind the scenes content and bonus material for each podcast episode. All right, let's grab a cup of tea, a comfy seat, and settle in for today's practice. Hello, listeners. I am so glad to be with you this month as we journey through January. Today, I am bringing the first interview of the year to you, a conversation with Jacqueline Suskin. Jacqueline is a poet, an educator who has been teaching workshops, writing books, hosting retreats, and creating spontaneous poetry around the world since 2009. Her newest book, A Year in Practice, Seasonal Rituals and Prompts to Awaken Cycles of Creative Expression, is out now. And friends, it is such a an awesome book. I highly recommend it so much so that I read it and did this interview while I was on my sabbatical at the end of November. You know, I wasn't releasing podcast episodes. I was taking a bit of a break for my own creative refilling as we move into this 2024 year of the podcast. And this conversation was such a gift and so much fun. So in this interview, we talk about seasonality and why it matters for us to remember and connect with the energy of the seasons. We talk about the importance of letting go of our rigidity or our expectations around what our practice should look like. And instead embracing what the season is asking for us, what our own energy is asking for us, and how to even be fluid within that, right? We talk specifically about winter because we're in the middle of winter. And we talk about, you know, I think it's interesting, really interesting, that there is this understood energy of hibernation, of rest, of going inside. And I want us to know that and honor it and feel it. And I don't want us to beat ourselves up when we have to go to work and there are things that have to be done, right? So we're learning how to be a bit fluid with what we understand of the seasons and with what we need. We talk about retreating in real life. We talk about dream practices and life-changing, at least for me, Jacqueline gives some amazing, amazing instruction on a practice of journal review and how we might use that to further our creative expression or our creative projects throughout the year. I so loved this conversation. I could have gone for another hour, but I tried to respect Jacqueline's time and yours, dear listener. I hope you enjoy it. Be sure you check out Jacqueline's website, her book. She has eight books out in the world. This newest one, A Year in Practice is out now. And I'm so happy to share this conversation with you. If you are listening to this audio only, you're not watching the YouTube video, you can't see that I am sitting in front of a beautiful roaring fire, which feels lovely and appropriate for our conversation about winter. But if you can't see it, you might be surprised by some of the crackles or pops that may or may not be happening in the background. So just a little heads up in case you hear random noise in the background, that's what you're hearing, a little wood-burning fire. All right, let's jump into today's conversation. Jacqueline, welcome to the Mindful Minute. Thank you for chatting today. Thanks so much for having me. I am... So excited about this conversation. Longtime listeners know my particular interest in the world is the intersection of mindfulness or contemplative practices, nature, and creativity. 
And so your book is, you're, you're my <laughs> <Yeah>. person. Yeah. <laughs> so when your book landed in my inbox, I thought, oh, we have to talk. And I'm, I'm really pumped to do that today. And I think I want to start with a little bit of an unfair question, because I know you wrote an entire book about your own practices. But I wonder in this moment, we're recording at the very end of November, what your contemplative or reflective practice looks like right now. Mm, Yeah, this is a tricky time of year. The transitional moments are kind of rough. They're rough for me. And I think that, you know, whenever I think of things that work for myself or things that kind of resonate for me, I just always consider I'm a human. So that probably will work for some other humans. Mm. And I find that these transitions from season to season can be pretty rough. And the, the fall transition is challenging in a way where I'm having to ramp down my practice. Like I'm trying to prepare for winter and this pause that's coming, but fall also has this last kind of big boom of energy, this like final charge that I like to utilize because if you can kind of like tune into that, then I find for me that I'm able to bring whatever I need to stockpile for the winter to work on or to think about, I I can bring those things with me, but it does require this last big jolt of effort. And I think sometimes it's really hard to let go of that, that that like last bit of energy. Once I get into winter, winter is my time. I love to be in a little slow cave of reflection, but the shift is difficult. So I find myself practicing currently just noticing that transition and how it affects me and sort of giving myself a little bit of grace around that. Like, Oh, Mm -hmm. I'm having kind of a hard time making the shift. I don't have to make the shift quite yet. You know, it's almost winter. It's not quite winter, even though there is snow on the ground outside. Mm. I, I still kind of continue to affirm every morning. It's okay to be moving with this last charge of the fall season. It's okay to still be in that productive vibration and that I'm allowed to do that for a little longer. And even though it might feel a little bit like raw and frantic, it's also purposeful. And as long as I can kind of keep remembering that, then I kind of calm myself down and allow myself to, to do that work. You know, as you were speaking, I'll I'll tell you a very silly story. I have now a five-year-old daughter whose birthday is in November. And at some point I said to her, your birthday is in the winter. And that, that is what came to me in the moment when she asked, she was little, I'm like trying to, she doesn't understand time. Right. And I said (laughs) winter. And then recently, and let's say it was, I don't know, September or early October, Another adult friend was over and said, oh, your birthday's coming up. You have the best birthday in the fall. You're so lucky. And my daughter looks at me with this utter devastation. And she says, you said my birthday was in winter. Is it winter or fall? Like it was a very big distinction for her. And I was like, oh, I was so cavalier in this sentence. But you named this truth. Like actually there's a distinct feeling of mm-hmm. season. It matters to her as a four now five-year-old. It matters to you and I as adults. Oh, silly, I actually think that's like a perfect example because whatever inspired this book was this sense of there is this inherent understanding of time and how time passes and the way that affects our practice. And by the word practice, I don't just mean creative practice. I just mean the practice of life Mm. and like, just like attempting to find our rhythm, find our connection, our sense of belonging. And so for a child to kind of attune to that makes sense because I do think it's something that's really accessible. It's like right under the surface. It doesn't really matter who you are or where you live. You know, the the cadence of the seasons affects you. It 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 lives inside of you actually. And so it would make sense for all of us to kind of question, wait, I need to know actually what is happening. When are things ending? When are things beginning? And luckily that stuff is, you know, knowable. So I think that that's kind of like the whole thesis of my book is remembering that that exists, finding different 
invitations and like just different doorways to walk through so that you can remember that it exists and then how that applies to you personally, that will look different for everyone and for every place we live that's different. And sometimes the seasons are really subtle. Sometimes they're really nuanced. Sometimes they're in your face and very stark, but still we all have this deep feeling of connection to that. I think we just forget it. Mm. I, I let me name first. We're talking about your brand new book, which will have just come out as this interview is released. And um, the book is A Year in Practice: Seasonal Rituals and Prompts to Awaken Cycles of Creative Expression. And you write in the introduction, it really struck me that we live in a cycle of forgetfulness. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about what you mean by that. Yeah, I think that kind of trying to connect to the planet and its bounty that it offers us is there's so many things wrapped into that. It can seem like this maybe like surface level, simple kind of concept where I'm like, oh, the seasons affect us. But I think that the thing that I like to highlight with that sense of forgetfulness is that there are a lot of things that happen in our daily lives, whether they be connected to work or family or just the onslaught of information that's coming at us and our understanding of the global condition, like the way we've had to expand our minds out and to think of so much that exists in our field. And I think that reeling that in to find a way to remember that there is guidance coming to us from the earth constantly. And we are the earth. We are of the earth. You know, I keep highlighting this in all of my talks and everything I'm saying about the book. You know, the reason why that this remembrance is so crucial is because it's basically also asking us to remember ourselves and remember Mm -hmm. how to touch on embodiment and figure out how to be with ourselves. And a lot of my exploration of what the seasons offer came from me you know, reassessing my own framework, the own, the things that work for me, like what works in my practice as a writer, what works in my practice for balancing my attunement to myself. And I think that that remembering is just like that idea of it being kind of inherent in us, like with your daughter, it's like, it's right below the surface, the importance of it. It's, it's there for us to touch on, but we're constantly distracted or asked to do so many things that have nothing to do with that internal Mm. rhythm. And I think that anything that could kind of drop just like a little pin in the day where you can have the chance to try to practice remembering that something I'm focusing on with that is that there's a huge reward in that. There's a huge reward in remembering. It's not just like, Oh, I remember. And that feels good. The reward is beyond feeling. The reward is like, Oh, I, I actually have this affirmation. Maybe I am doing exactly what I need to be doing right now when it comes to the way the season would have me feel or react. And it might seem like I'm not doing enough, but it's winter. I'm not actually supposed to be doing a lot. And that, Mm. that idea of like what we should do and what we're supposed to do, there's this influence from, you know, societal pressures and structures of oppression and these frameworks that maybe we could break or change if we were allowed the space and time to remember these earthly traditions and these earthly messages that are constantly moving through us. Mm. I want to talk about, I think, what is two sides of that coin. The first of which is, let's talk a little bit about generally, what are the seasons asking? What is winter asking of us? What is like, let's give people an overview of that. But the other thing I'm really interested in, and I noticed that you highlighted this in the introduction a little bit, is that it also equally, it isn't a, well, winter is a time of rest. So don't do anything right? Mm-hmm. It's not that there's, there is a fluidity in both of these ways of working with the seasons or noticing the season. So I, I want to follow both of those threads if we can. Oh yeah. I, I love that you use the word fluidity. I think I even say in the book, you know, a framework can be fluid. It's, it's can, it can just be something to return to and access, but it can kind of move throughout your year. Like what you experience in winter is a learned energy. And then if you tap into that and memorize it and notice it, you might know in the middle of summer that you need a little bit of that and you can yeah. turn turn back to it and tune into it and let that be you know what takes over in the moment of your need and because you've practiced it and memorized it you can access it easier and so 
yes, typically winter is the time when our bodies and everything around us are tuning into more of like a reflective inward, slower paused state. There's a lot of stillness. And for me, that's a great time of creative expression. And it's not necessarily that I'm focused on an outcome in winter, like, oh, I got to get this thing finished and I'm going to make it look like this. It's more like a gestation period of like, what do I really want my work to be in the world? What is this thing that lives inside of me that I'm trying to say? And can I give myself a little bit of extra time and space to just sort of stew in that and sit with it as opposed to rushing to try to make it into something tangible, which then that kind of moves into spring and spring is this big rush of tangibility. It is this rebirth and this like everything coming to surface. And again, the transitions can be rough. And I think that return spring is actually really difficult for me. It's kind of like the hardest season for me because Mm. I love winter so much that coming out of that internal inward state and re-emerging is, is really harsh. And that exposure can feel extremely challenging, but then it kind of shifts. And, you know, once everything thaws and everything is actually fully engaged in that spring energy, I can then also be like meeting that with my full self. And that moves into summer, which is a very communal time. And it's an outward, fully out. Everything's out. We're all out together. We're all ready to share what we've uncovered in these months of discovery. And that's a really, you know, a real time of this is my work. This is what it looks like. How am I going to give it to people? How am I going to show myself to people? And again, that's, that can be really overwhelming, especially if you're more introverted and you charge up by yourself. I think that that's when you can kind of oh, I can call on winter in the middle of summer (laughs) if I need to, I can rest, I can have a moment. And, you know, summer is also a big time of like recharging and the sun can soak into you and you can kind of tend to your body in this different way than you can. in in any of the other months, there's a real relaxation, like a vacation mode that exists Mm. in that, you know, outward time. And then we come back to fall, which is like just a time of gathering and stockpiling and readying and being There's just a real wave of preparation that runs through all of us. And that I think is a really special energy to ride and like to rise to the occasion of that because it's kind of like electric and fervent and it makes you, you know, oh, what am I going to collect for myself? And I love meeting that with my full self and then recognizing like right about now at the end of November, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to start the gradual turn down of that so that I can slow down for the winter months. Mm. I have noticed on, I walk a trail near my house in the woods most days. And I have noticed, particularly in this last week, we're in the South, we're in Georgia. It's very cold this week for the first time. I mean, very colds in the forties for us. It's (laughs) it's freezing. Um, But I have noticed that it's, it's wintry, right? It looks different. It sounds different. It feels different. And so I, I'm really aware of this transition and for people that are listening to us, they will be fully through the transition and in winter, as we talk about winter the way the book is structured, there's each season, there are practices and prompts and poems and reflections. I wonder if maybe you'll call in winter with a reading, maybe one of your poems, mm-hmm. and then to. let's talk about some practices. Yeah. Um, the book is kind of broken up with these meditation poems that guide you into the feeling of the season. And this is the the first one. The first chapter of the book is about winter and it's the longest chapter in the whole book. Uh, It's entitled Rest. Imagine all of the life underground that is waiting for spring. Envision the resting roots, the sleeping creatures, and everything below the surface that is paused for the season. Feel the fullness of this stillness. Feel the necessity of this calmness. There is silence here in every den, in every inch of cold dirt. There is silence in your home as well. Your body needs this pause. Your mind revels in this quietness. Winter speaks to you and says, 
Rush no longer. Put down whatever you carry, curl up and rest. Scan yourself from toe to head and head to toe, letting yourself unwind, releasing all demands. Breathe into every inch of your body as it relaxes into this healing state. Imagine yourself in a warm cocoon, wrapped in glowing light. No need to go anywhere or do anything. No need for any plan at all. Return to this place of respite every time you crave the grace of winter's restful energy. Remember, everything else is asleep now, too. Give yourself permission to go into the cave and turn inward. Winter is also my favorite season. <laughs> Another reason you and I are meant to be friends, clearly. <laughs> and I wonder, I have a hunch. I wonder, aside from it being our collective favorite season, if there are other reasons that this is the longest chapter in the book. Mm. I think winter gives me the most time. Mm -hmm. So there's all these practices because of that. I'm I'm able to experiment more. I'm able to try things out. I have more space and time because people aren't asking me to go and do things or expecting me to go and do things. You know, I, I'll go back to something you said earlier, which is it's not like I can just give up in winter and go into a cave and disappear, even though I would love to do that. And I have done moments of big retreat in my life and it works the best in the winter. And there's a whole section in that chapter about retreat. Mm -hmm. But I think that even, even that practice as an example is there's time and space in winter for this downshift and that that in that space of stillness and pause, that is where I find so much of my inspiration. And so I just love the feeling of that. Even just knowing that that's possible is like a deeply healing feeling for me. It doesn't mean that I'm like, oh, every day I'm writing a poem and finding the you know kernel of wisdom that I've always been looking for. But there is this sense that I am, like I said in that poem, sort of just like held and, and you know, every, you, you have to be, you're usually bundled up or, you know, you're, you're feeling a little bit more capable of kind of shutting out the, the world, even if it's just for a little while in the morning when everything is silent and dark and quiet. Mm -hmm. And I just love that. It's so nourishing for me. So I think that from that space of nourishment, I'm like, oh, I have all of these things that I do in that space that I don't have time for, for in, in the rest of the year. I love that. And I, you know, one of the things that I am very aware of, and truthfully, I struggle a little bit because I'm a meditation teacher. I'm, I teach a thing, meditation, <laughs> and I believe very much in it. It has massively impacted my life. However, it is not my only practice. And the longer I practice, the more I'm aware of how different it looks throughout the year. And for mm -hmm. many years, I would beat myself up because no, we practice 20 minutes every day. And the truth is right now, that is not what I'm doing. Right. And it, you know, I, even this morning I was noticing, I wake up, I love early morning. It is the time yeah. I wake up early. I'm down here. I have the fire going. I have the coffee and I, I do my dream journal, but that was like much longer. It was not like a quick little scribble. I like really flushed it out. And then I was like, well, I want to sit with some of these images. So I was sort of like imagining, I was doing this whole thing that I would not call quote unquote meditation the way I teach it. And yet it was deeply, deeply contemplative and nourishing and centering. And so I, I'm saying all that just to say for, for listeners, I think there's such a gift in letting our practice fit with what the season is asking us to do. And that's not to say like, I don't feel like meditating today. I'm not going to do it. Right. But it is tapping into what is the season, the energy of right now inviting me to pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, what does meditation look like in this season? And that there's a chapter, I mean, there's a section in the winter chapter about meditation and how I recognize that my meditation practice is 
incredibly different all year long. And winter is usually the time when I return to it and like reassess and Mm. reestablish what that looks like and feels like. And, you know, I think that as we grow in our practice, we learn different modalities, we learn different avenues or things that work for us. And then maybe throughout the year, we'll wane from that a little, and then we'll return to it. And often I return to things when I have the time and space to do that. Mm -hmm. And so in winter I'll find, oh, right. I love this part of practice, but I haven't been engaged with that because summer was wild and, and fall was frantic too. So now I'm tuning down again and I'm returning to that thing that I know works for me. And I kind of think that that's an important part of this book is that it's not prescriptive. It's not like me saying, this is how you meditate, or this Mm -hmm. is what you should do. It's more like, these are some things that might work well in this season. And that's just the doorway for you to then kind of walk through and experiment and apply your own sense of practice with just a little kind of keyhole or like a kernel that will help guide you to that. I love that. And I I mean, off the top of my head, I remember there being stillness. I remember there being movement. I remember there being bathing and dream. I mean, you have such a beautiful, it's like, you know, a multitude of threads and we could pull on any of those threads and it doesn't have to be all of them. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's go back to retreating for a minute. You mentioned that's one of the practices. I I love a good retreat Mm -hmm. and I am not a fan of go take three months out. I mean, I am, of course I am. Don't we all want to take three months out of our lives and go retreat? However, that's not realistic in my life at this moment, but a day is very realistic and a weekend is very realistic. So tell us a little bit about what retreating means to you and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. I love a weekend retreat. Um, Yeah. I mean, for me, what that usually looks like is first of all, intentional time set aside alone. I think being alone is really important for me. And I've also retreated with other artists and, and that's been awesome. Also, that's been very fulfilling for me for us to be kind of like in community and retreat. But I think that the heart of the retreat chapter, I kind of give an example of like, this is what it looks like. This is how I got to it. But one of the most important parts of it for me is the preparation for kind of having some sort of idea of what you want to accomplish or do in a day in a retreat so that you're not like, I'm going on retreat for a weekend. And then you're just sort of flailing. You're Mm. like, wait, what do I do? It's different than just going and taking time to like relax and sit by a fire and like really unwind, it might look a little bit like you have something you want to work on. And so kind of deciphering, like, this is what a daily ideal structure would be for me if I had uninterrupted time, because retreat to me is synonymous with just uninterrupted time. And I think I always like to highlight too, that that can happen in your own home. It can be requested. Like I will request and let my partner know I am going to be, you know, on retreat during these two weeks in my home. That doesn't mean I don't have to work. I mean, I have to work too, but I, what that looks like is, and then I'll describe it to him and he'll know, okay, during these hours, this is what Jacqueline's doing. And I'm just going to respect that. And Mm. knowing that that uninterrupted space is happening allows me to tap into that retreat mode, which I have practiced heavily throughout my life and have spent many months alone by myself doing things like this. And I'm recognizing that that's definitely not possible, especially now that I have so many more responsibilities in life, but that I have tapped into what it feels like enough that I can kind of evoke that when, when I need to. And it's much easier in the winter, because again, in the winter, I find less, less is being asked of me. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I, um, you know, over the pandemic years, I have participated and led many retreats that were virtual. So they were in my home, whether I was being the participant or the facilitator of it, sitting in the space where I practice and saying to my family, like, this is what I'm doing in these hours. And, you know, mom's working, (laughs) right? And it's really fascinating to me how powerful that can be. And I do think it takes, I think that takes practice just like a retreat in general takes practice because it's not like you don't hear the noise Mm -hmm. and think like, oh, I should go 
right? So you're building this skill of this is the intentionality of the moment and what I'm committing to spending time doing. One of the things that really jumped out at me is, so you offer just like a sample sort of timeline, I think just to help us sort of imagine what we might structure our hours as. And one of the things I really liked, which I do not do, but I intend to do in my next retreat is you wove in what I'm going to call like busy work. Like there were some pieces that I was like, I would not do that on retreat, but I see the purpose. So why might it not be just, I'm going to meditate and write for eight hours or whatever, right? How come you structure it that way? I think it's really to honor the practicality and reality of our lives and how we don't, I mean, I'm trying to make work in all that I do that is accessible and that actually is like functional for people, all types of people. And I think in yearning to create work that looks like that, I try to find places where I can put things like that in, like these practical, functional, reality-based methods and including your busy work in your day is is like a nod to being compassionate around the fact that we don't get to turn our lives off but we still do get to turn on this feeling of retreat it's just a method a weaving a balancing act but we can do it and again it it does take practice and i i also don't think that it's easy and i think that that just leaving room for those everyday realities kind of does make it easier. Like if there, if those things can be included in our conversations about practice, then I I do think that more people will find their way to those moments and it will be easier for them to try to apply it to their lives. Cause it's all an experiment anyway. So we might as well like include language that is keeping us grounded in reality and the fact that we have a lot to tend to in our lives. I love that. I love that because we're not speaking to just full-time meditators or full-time poets or full-time artists of any form, right? It's we're talking to everybody. We're talking to the nine to five office job and the Mm -hmm. student and whatever, right? Yeah. And it's, it's so funny to think like, even as a full-time poet, I'm like, yeah, so much of my life involves things like that though. And I could kind of try to talk about myself in this elevated way. That's like, oh, I only do these practices and that's what <laughs> life looks like, but it's, it's not like that at all. You right. know, I, I also have to maintain a business and a home and my finances and, you know, my pets and all these different things that are real. And I think Mm. I I love including all of that in this idea that then we can also be in tune with the earth and we can also be in tune with our bodies and our minds and our spirits. And just the experiment of figuring out how to do that is what I'm trying to uphold and engage Mm. with. And I'm excited to see what that does for other people because they'll uncover things that I wouldn't uncover. Yes. Oh, I love that. Um, I really want to talk about dreaming. This is mm. like such a, such a time of dream. This right now where we are recording from mid-November to mid-December, roughly the Hebrew month is the month of dreams. Like this mm. is a time of dreaming winter, you name dreaming as a practice. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what dreams are to you. And if you work with them, how you work with them, that type of thing. I'm a wild dreamer. I mean, I, every night I'm living a lifetime. It's just, I've always been like that ever since I was a kid. Um, and I think that so much of my creative material comes from my dreams. I mean, I've written so many poems based on my dreams. And I think that a lot of us probably don't have time to fully examine our dreams because the examination offers a lot. And I don't think that there's always time for that, but that's what I love about those winter mornings where maybe I'll wake up super early and it's dark out and no one's awake yet. And I can just lie there and kind of analyze my dreams. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll take notes. Maybe I'll write in a journal. It depends on the dream. Sometimes the dreams are too long and I don't have time <laughs> to write all of that down. But I do think that the heart of kind of what I focus on in the sleeping and dreaming section of the winter chapter is this idea that there's so much subject matter there. And yes, that can turn into an outcome that looks like a poem or a song or some art 
project or something like that, but also it can just be information and having this time to sort of reflect on that information and think, okay, well, that's telling me this, or that looks like this, or it's reminding me to act this way or look to this more, or it's highlighting a feeling I might not be wanting to look at, but probably, you know, would, it would be great for me to do that. I think that time of just feeling out those dreams and that space mm-hmm. is it's just really supported in winter. Winter is such a sleepy time. You know, it's like, if you're wanting to be all cozy and resting, your dreams are there for you as, is on all these different levels. It can be really spiritual. It can be so resonant. It can also be really entertaining. It can just be really interesting. It can be like, I think in, in winter when there's like this cabin fever and, you know, you want to be doing more and dreams are where I find all my people, you know, Mm. and I oftentimes in winter, I'll be having these dreams every night of just being with all my people. And I'm like, well, I would not going to be with them in daily life. I'm spending a lot of time alone, but there they are in my dreams and I can kind of revel in that. (laughs) I love that. I love that. And I, one of the things I have noticed that I do quite a bit is when I have a dream that has a very particular landscape that feels, you know, you have the, you have dreams that you just know, like, this is an important dream, right? It's more vivid or there's more energy around it. You wake up remembering more of it. When I have that and I have a specific landscape pictured, then that's what I try to bring into my meditation practice that morning is like, can I invite myself back into that space and further explore it now with a somewhat conscious mind? So I just think there's so many ways that we can use our dreams as a way to connect and be curious, a way to find inspiration. I don't know. I really like that. Yeah. And the more you mess with them, the more you Mm. let yourself have time with them, the more you'll remember them. So I always love to remind people of that. You know, the more you think about it, give yourself even just a minute or two, the next day you'll probably remember more. I love that. And you have, I think it's titled the whale dream. And was that a real dream that this poem came from? Will you read that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I have to find it, but I will. Yeah. (laughs) I, I was thinking of that poem and how I just, that just, just in, in, in the section about sleeping and dreaming of being kind of willing to like admit how much dreaming affects my creative practice and how I'm, that might not be true for everyone, because obviously like not everyone remembers their dreams, but yeah, this is a, this is a real dream that I had the whale dream. We stood along the edge of the continent, a large group, maybe 100 people, a whale came to us. I leaned out over the water, and it put its mouth on my mouth, the same way the black Mustang did in the desert, Samson with his velvet muzzle, whale with its lip so smooth, so solid and wet. Everyone gasped around us. When it was time for the whale to retreat, after we exchanged the ancient feeling, the truth of connection, It went below the surface and I followed it. I jumped in and fell and fell into the only color that matters, the deep blue that still holds light. But I could not become a whale. Covered in salt, I found my way back to land alone. There's so much feeling and I just, I can feel that dream. (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. I love it um I have a thousand more questions and I'm trying (laughs) to pick the ones that feel most resonant in this moment let's let's talk about journal review Mm -hmm. which caught my attention so I love journaling big journaler I don't often review my journals Oh yeah. I was like, why am I not doing this? So so tell us about journal review. Okay. As a like I do a lot of creative consulting sessions with people. I give a lot of like one-on-one guidance. Mm. And one of the things I always talk about is this act of reviewing your journals. Because I think what happens is as creative people, we fill up these journals with our brilliant ideas, and then they just sit there. And I actually kind of think that they become a weight that we carry. Mm. Like there's this little feeling that's like, 
oh my gosh, there's something there that I need to do something with. And if not, if you're just happy to have your journals and to like get it out, that also makes sense to me. You know, maybe you're not concerned with or considering that you would like to do something with what you've written. But if you do in any way, have some little inkling that you'd like to go back and kind of uncover and unearth your little jewels that you've left for yourself. I highly recommend it. I recommend doing it in the winter time. I recommend being very slow and careful with it because it can be incredibly emotional to go back through your life. I think it actually can be kind of brutal sometimes. It's not always a very fun process. So I like doing it in the winter because if I come across something that brings me grief or that feels a little too hard and heavy, I can pause and go take care of myself, like take a bath or do something Mm. to like wind down from that. Where in other months I might be like, oh, it's summer. I don't have time to do that. I'm going to go see 45 people right now. So I'm (laughs) going to have to carry this grief and kind of pretend it's not, it's not a good time for for Mm. me to review my journals. But I also think in considering how it might be difficult in these ways that you should also consider, you might find a lot in there that you love and that you want to use. So this is where the practice comes in. I suggest kind of making a method for yourself, maybe ahead of time before your entrance into the world of your journals, you think I have some projects that I would like to work on. And I might be finding things in these journals that will buoy those projects, or maybe I'm going to find a piece of writing that would be perfect to add to this idea. And then I I suggest I have all these right here, having these little color coded sticky notes Mm. that then you're like, okay, so we'll just call, I'm just going to make this up. Like you're you're making a book about whales, anything that you find in your journals that has to do with the ocean or whales, you put the blue tab, you save it for yourself. You might not in that moment have the energy to go through your journals and then put that stuff in the computer. Mm -hmm. But later you can go back again and you've coded everything for yourself. And then you put that in the computer. So I consider this, obviously there's a huge practical um, part of this that I'm talking about. It's very functional, but I also find it to be incredibly healing to go through and show yourself what you've made. Oh, wow. I've written, you know, 45 talking points about whales that are actually like, poetic and beautiful. And I feel so inspired to make this book now, but you probably wouldn't have known that unless you gave yourself the time to think about four or five projects you might want to look for in your journals, things that you know, you write about, or that, you know, you like maybe an experience in your life that, you know, you'd like to turn into a book or a painting or a lyric or something like that. And then you're on this special hunt to kind of decipher those things and find what you've created. And I think it can just be so affirming. You can show yourself, wow, I've written so much about this already, or I have so many concrete ideas that this is, this thing is actually way closer to being born than I would have ever thought. And then even if it doesn't come to the point of that outcome, you've at least shown yourself what you've written, you've reflected, and then you can let it go and Mm. never have to do it again. Like I have journals that I'll never ever look at again because I've I've done this. I've I feel like I've succeeded in the process and I've pulled everything from them that I know is of worth to me that I value and I've put that in a computer or in another journal and then I can just be satisfied. And I'm telling you, not many things in life give you that sense of satisfaction. So trying to go through some process like that with your journals is like revolutionary. And so many people have stacks of journals that they've never looked at. And I know that that can be really daunting. So having some kind of, (laughs) no, you prep yourself for the project of coding and finding and, uh, you know, assessing what you'd like to pull. And then the feeling afterwards, that relief of just knowing you've given yourself that is just, I think it's something that's just really been an amazing part of my process as a writer. You have just changed my life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I like. I can't decide if I'm going to laugh or cry right now. You have changed <laughs> my life. It's hilarious because we just cleaned out our garage and I have this enormous Tupperware bin with a hundred, I mean, so yeah. many journals. I save them all. I write the year, right? So I like, I know where they're from. 
And I was, I was staring at this, like, why am I saving this? Like, who's going to read these? Why would I save these journals? And I'm so, so happy. I didn't talk myself into throwing them away now because. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Don't throw away all your jewels. (laughs) I know. Thank you. Okay. Give us one more. Like I need another, what else do you, what other creative genius ideas should we be carrying with us? What else do you tell people to do? Do you have another one? (laughs) <laughs> well, I think I might, I might, I'll add on to this because there's, it's okay. kind of like a two-part process. And I think it's helpful to have this in mind where first you go through your journals and you do this color coding, and then maybe you like transfer all of that into uh, like a word document or onto a computer. But then there's also this next phase of it where, and I, I think this is what I like to call the organization phase. And obviously the color tabs really help with that, but I think like getting clear on a project Mm-hmm. And then saying, okay, there's like 30 projects in my journals that I've highlighted and color coded. And there, all of that information is there for me for a lifetime of creation, but I'm going to choose this one that feels the most resonant. And then in that, there's some specific organization that happens, which is sort of like, I, I like to talk about this in the sense of poems, because that's the way my brain thinks. So if there are you know, poems about people in this book, then I will print those and make a stack of poems about people. If there are poems about places, I will print them and make a stack of poems about place and my in my inner world. I'll make a stack of that and like kind of deciphering your subject matter within a project. Even if it's a prose project, it can help you like make an outline. Mm. It can help you kind of see like, wow, I have in this book idea about meditation. I have this incredible wealth of information for a piece about sitting but this part of you know the book this part is is slim I should probably start writing more on that and you can kind of get this like overview of where you need to put your attention and so you're Mm. not just feeling like oh I have all this information now for a book what do I do with it it's like well the next step is sort of like trying to decipher how much you have What does that look like in an outline? Where should you focus on writing more? And where can then you also start editing? Because if you feel like you have a lot, you probably want to edit it down. And so it'll give you some direction to kind of have this next step. Mm. Oh, I love this so much. (laughs) And I'm just going to brainstorm out loud for a minute for listeners. So for listeners that have a meditation practice, and if you practice with me, you know, I say at the end, you journal afterwards, because that's where we remember all of the magic from the practice, like what came up. So let's assume like me, you have multiple journals that have a a page, a half a page, a sentence, synopsis, a little nugget from your practice. And so one of the things that I would do with that is that's where I create my next meditation from is, oh, this was interesting, right? Like the the nugget was... let's say a cave, right? I felt like I was in a cave. So now maybe I'm going to create a meditation that has more specific imagery around a cave. And listeners, you don't have to be a meditation teacher to make your own meditation, right? You can just imagine a cave as you guide yourself into practice. So it doesn't have to be writing a book, although I bet a lot of us want to do that. It doesn't have to be formally sharing something out in the world even, but even if you're wanting to, I just can imagine that this practice you're talking about is valuable, even if we're not necessarily creating an external product, right? It's just absolutely inner, the joy of creating something for yourself is so powerful. Yeah. And it can even be like in doing all of this and examining everything that you're finding your own rhythm as a person. Mm -hmm. And that would work the same is the way I'm describing this process. It would work the same. You would be like indicating for yourself. And this is also a great thing to apply seasonally of what works for me in each season. If I go through all of my journals chronologically and like throughout the year, I see that it's there on the page. I might not notice it if I wasn't looking for it, but if I, I, I make the decision to give myself the time and space to do that to uncover those things, then I will, I'll see myself spelled out throughout the years. And that alone doesn't have to become something tangible to share with others. It can just be a practice and a process for, for you. Mm. Um, I want to be respectful of time. 
listeners, we only talked about winter and like not even the whole chapter. There is a chapter on spring and summer and fall. Like there's so much within this book. Maybe Jacqueline, you could leave us with a reflection, a practice, something for us to carry with us in these winter moments. I would love to. There are in each seasonal chapter, there are prompts from the planet and I will read the ones for winter. What do plants and other animals do in the winter? They go dormant. Seeds wait, inactive in the dark soil or stored away, safe and dry. They harden, keep warm and get slow. Some stop growing, others sleep and dream. Below ground, everything works anew, protective and focused on survival. The plant world pauses its creation and changes its approach, waiting for the sun to return. Remember, we are part of the same cycle. Remember to ask yourself, what is the natural world up to right now? How does it include me? How is it my mirror? Mm. Thank you. How is it my mirror? Let's carry that question with us. I love that. Jacqueline, I could talk to you for hours. This was so (laughs) much fun. Thanks Um, for having me. Yes. So when this airs, your book will be out in the world. Listeners, you'll find a link in the show notes. I will link to your website as well. Jacqueline, is there anything I didn't ask you or anything you want to share before we end today? No, that was perfect. I loved being able to give the functional journaling advice. Oh my God, that's awesome. I'm, I will send you an update offline Please. after I do that this, this winter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Best of luck with the book. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to The Mindful Minute. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving me a review wherever you get your podcasts. This helps others to find the show. And let's face it, we could definitely use more meditators in this world. The Mindful Minute is recorded on Muskogee land and produced with the support of Madeline Day Production Management and Brianna Nielsen Virtual Assistance. To join my live classes, ask questions, or learn more about my teacher trainings, please visit merylarnett.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you guys next week.